the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello, and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Carolyn Cameron. Now, this is the first time that we've had a guest appear twice on our show, and I think that you'll find that what Dr. Cameron has to say is worth it. If you remember way back to episode 18, Dr. Cameron is an educator with over 30 years of experience within the K-12 public school system. Her career began as a teacher working with the most difficult-to-reach students who demonstrated both behavioral and learning challenges. As an administrator of a new middle school, she brought powerful teaching practices to her role as a school leader. She has presented at local, provincial, national, and international conferences on the power of collaboration to lead meaningful student learning within a school community. As a school principal, she was nominated twice and was a recipient of a Provincial Excellence in Teaching Award. As a lifelong learner, she recently earned her Doctor of Education degree from the University of Calgary. Her professional experience includes serving as a leadership consultant for School Alberta Education and the Galileo Educational Network. Currently, when not traveling, she works as a sessional instructor for school leadership programs at the University of Calgary and the University of Lethbridge. Here's my conversation with Dr. Carolyn Cameron. Carolyn Cameron, it's great to have you back on the show today. And I have to say that I really enjoyed your book, Renewal. Since the last time we spoke, you came out with this amazing book. And I I wanted to start there. The book is called Renewal. And I wanted to just talk about the title. What are you suggesting here to renew? Now, I've read it, so I kind of know the answer, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, someone who might pick this book up, they say, okay, what am I supposed to renew myself or maybe the approach to leadership or the education, maybe all of the above. Let's start there. Thanks so much, Corey. And thanks for inviting me uh, to join you and have a conversation about this book. This was uh, a project that I'm, uh, I'm kind of really interested in how the timing of it all worked out because I knew it was going to be called Renewal. It was it was based on my dissertation I completed a couple of years ago. And I just think, wow, you know, this whole pandemic kind of speaks to the opportunity that we have in front of us to really renew ourselves. You know, I'm not in the system right now, working in schools right now. So I don't know the day-to-day reality that you all are experiencing in the schools. But I, I read, I hear, I talk to friends and you know, I just can't imagine how challenging it is. And it just honestly fits in with this whole concept of renewal and what an opportunity. I mean, I know, gosh, it's, I I imagine it's been so challenging, but the book, I speak about the challenges and the problems that come up in front of us as opportunities always to renew, to take a look at what we're doing, 
to take an observer stance, to be open and curious learner, to say, what what does this mean? What could we be doing differently? So I think this pandemic, and I've talked to uh, students that I teach in uh, in a master's cohort about what have you learned from this huge challenge that everyone's facing right now in your context, in your schools, is there something that is causing you to, to know or understand that you need to renew yourself, renew your system, renew processes? What is it? Is it helping you kind of take a step back? And from many, I've heard that it is really becoming abundantly clear that in a crisis situation, learning of the staff and teachers and leaders takes a back seat to managing the crisis, right? It just seems to be that that learning has not been, it's the time to spend learning and chatting and discussing has not been available because people are busy responding. It's that, I call it whack-a-mole. You're just kind of responding to each situation as it comes to be fussed. What are we going to do? Let's do this, this, let's do that. But I said, if when when and if you have time to reflect, are there things that you're noticing that you're doing, systems or processes or approaches that you could renew that would help you navigate this crisis, this challenge better. And it's interesting to hear different folks talk about, well, you know, we have a really collaborative culture. So when we were told some of us have to do online, some of us have to do this, and and we're having to navigate all of this, uh, this chaos, that it sounded to me like folks that were fairly collaborative and able to call on each other and, and kind of share the load or adjust the load or learn from each other quickly, we're in a situation where, yeah, it wasn't as, as difficult as it might have been. I don't know if that makes sense. So not every individual teacher is trying to do this alone. So this whole idea of renewing the way we work together renewing the kind of learning that we want to have happen for our students and people are are recognizing and telling me they've really noticed that a lot of old school approaches are are being implemented just because it's quick and easy like online learning i mean we're, we're not actually engaged in authentic not everybody and i don't want to speak you know across the whole board but what I'm hearing is that people are a little frustrated that they've gone back to, to methods and, and strategies and teaching practices that, that they know might not be the best for student learning, for authentic student learning. I wouldn't want to generalize. So to answer your question, renewal is about, well, what can we do given our situation? What can we, how can we renew our system? Are there things that we should be putting in place that allow us to be more adaptable to when, when these situations arise? So, when I say a renewal, I'm absolutely talking about all of it. You know, sometimes I'm just, I'm so humbled by all the work that all of you are doing. I think, well, what place do I have at this moment to say, hey, folks, why don't y'all go renew yourselves? You're like kind of hanging by a thread on any given moment. But the truth of the matter is, this is the time to think about processes and structures that we have all taken for granted. This is the way we always do things. Well, how might we do this differently so that we can be more effective during this time? So basically, renewal is about renewing all of it all the time, particularly in time of crisis. No, I think that that's a really good summary of it. And I realize it's, it's a huge question. But I really did like your answer there. And that is seeing challenges as opportunities and evaluating what we are going to look at which challenges are we going to try to approach by renewing some of the things that we have. I totally agree that you're, you know, the team approach, it seems like those that were better connected have managed 
the current crisis in education around COVID a little bit better. But not all people (laughs) seem to think that challenges are opportunities. And and I think that that's true in a crisis, but it's true even in everyday general teaching. Continual improvement and change for improvement is one of the central themes of your book. But what are some of the things that you saw that really helped to keep people's approach to seeing challenges as opportunities? And what are some of the things that you felt really helped lead the work to have that continual improvement and to have this eye for renewal as any situation uh, progresses, but even in just general <laughs> when we're not in a crisis? In my experience has been, and my research has been, when a leader models a natural disposition towards learning, my understanding of how to keep people continually engaged, they, I mean, you can't, you can't make people learn and you can't make people be interested in learning. All you can do as a leader is create the conditions. And one of the ways you create those conditions is be a learner yourself and be curious and be asking questions and not being the one with the answer. So when we have situations like this, where you ask the question, well, what could we be doing differently so that we can make this more engaging for our learners? What could, so it, always being open to questioning current practice, not with a judgment point of view, but with a, a genuine curiosity for wanting to figure things out. And when you start to develop that way of talking, that culture of thinking, that culture of curiosity, it is contagious. That's what you want with the kids. You want a, a, a culture of collaborative inquiry, of, of problem solving. So yeah, problems are absolutely the opening that provides the opportunity to to, to make some changes, to look at doing things differently. Also, Corey, I found it particularly helpful during my time as a school leader to connect with critical friends. They kept me, honestly, they kept me moving forward. I mean, you know, you just get so caught up in the day-to-day management and doing these things that, you know, you just have to do to get things done to run the organization. But with the help of critical friends, whether that's a, a university researcher, whether that's some you know, learning support uh, folks from the district office, whoever it is, will keep you focused on moving forward. And they come back and they, it's the critical friend asks the tough questions, right? It's like you would like your teachers to have critical friends of each other, to be each other's critical friend. You need one too as a school leader. You need somebody who's keeping your feet marching forward and holding you accountable like well you said you were going to do this are you going to you know what what's your evidence that you've done anything and and have those checkpoints and I'm not sure if all districts have that for their leaders but I know that there are certain districts that do that have leadership teams from the district that come in to to the schools and actually not not just a growth plan meeting but an actual regular ongoing conversation about what is it we're doing whether that so and that person does not need to come from the district office it can be somebody that you've connected with from outside the organization if that's not available within the school district but i think honestly it's critically important to have that support network that critical friend who keeps you um seeing a different perspective using the research to move the organization forward and holds you accountable to actually, you know, doing what you said you were going to do and looking for evidence that it's having impact. 
Um, so that's another part. And I also wanted to just talk to you really briefly about somebody I, I quoted in the book, Ron Richard, his organization, it's uh, creating cultures of thinking. And this one in particular is about creating a culture of thinking among the, the leaders and learners of the organization, the, the teachers or the teachers and the leaders. And I'm just going to read to you really quickly, just a, a couple of ideas that, that they talk about when there's a culture of learning, a culture of thinking existing in an organization this is what this is what we would see everyone's input is valued and there's creating a sense of respect there's constant questioning and probing of ideas by everyone in the group not just the leader the leader is engaged interested and passionate the leader is a learner along with everyone else so that's what i was speaking to before like you model that for the organization there's open communication active listening you felt heard Time to think, respond, and develop ideas. There's a safety felt to take risks, make mistakes. There's an openness. You're, you're vulnerable, and it's, it's expected to be part of the process, that, that, that there will be mistakes. Nobody's being judged uh, for trying, trying to do something different that's good for kids. They're stimulating group interactions. The group likes each other. They, they, have, they push and support one another, and that's, again, speaking to the critical friend component that you know we want each other to do the best for the organization we want to improve each other we want to be part of that support network and then our learning was connected to stuff that matters to our lives it had value and it had meaning so i think you asked about how do you how do you keep it interesting how do you keep progressing for your staff and i found that when staff with teachers when they are engaged in a group project together there is an energy that's created. They're, they're excited to share. They're excited to learn together. And I think that's really, really critical as well, that there's something that they're working on together that's for the good of the students, for sure, that's, mm-hmm. that is, that's going to make the learning for kids better. And I, I found always, when we've always brought it back to the students and, and what would be something that we could do together collectively that's going to make the situation for learning better for our students, staff would buy in. Not all, not all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things that strikes me when you speak is the importance of the team, of the collaborative approach, the team approach, and how we are thinking together and moving forward together. I'd like to know why, and I I think that's evident, but I'd like to have your input on why this is important. Why is this team uh, team approach is important, but also some of the ways that you suggest building a great team. And I'm not necessarily talking about hiring. It's about, you know, working with the people that you have to develop that collaborative thinking and approach. You know, Corey, I think that there's a real misinterpretation of that idea team out there i i believe that it's about you know the misinterpretation is that it's about raw raw we're in this together our team's working hard together like look at us go and it's a great thing we're all in it that's a real surface level way of experiencing teamwork and the value of team teamwork is is so much deeper than that it's so much more difficult than that with any functioning team, whether you know you're talking about a, a marriage as a as teamwork, a, a family team, or any kind of team, I, I, I often drew on uh, the sports area of my son's hockey team just because you know that was so in my face all the time as a hockey mom all those years. But the bottom line is, within a team, 
any team, you have to res- respect what everybody brings to the team and respect the idea that everybody is going to bring something different. We're not all going to see eye to eye. Incredibly important to have a shared value system, a shared purpose, a shared vision, mission, you know, to really believe, to be on the same page when it comes to student learning. And that, that in and of itself is a whole other area that needs to be developed. But at the end of the day, everybody's going to come bringing different strengths, different expertise. And that, that absolutely makes the richness of the experience in that school so much deeper, so much better for kids. Uh, So I think sometimes the misunderstanding or the misinterpretation is that, you know, as a team, we all do everything together the same way, the same, like that's no, no way, Jose, that is so not what we mean. It, there is value in diversity, but the diverse people, the diverse members of the team only make the team stronger. Bottom line, and you know this, everybody, anybody who's in education or yeah, anybody in education would recognize that the work that we undertake in our schools and in our classrooms is far too complex, far too demanding for anyone to do it alone. And I'm, and I'm speaking not only about leaders, you know, having a leadership team, I'm, I'm talking about teachers being supported by, with, and for each other, that teachers are really part of that network that makes the going, I don't want to say easier that because all my experience, I mean, I'm just like a total team groupie when I, I don't do anything almost by myself anymore, Corey. I'm, I just got to say, I, when I, when I uncovered this whole team teaching, working together with other colleagues, I think it was uh, many, many, many years ago, let's go 25. I was like, oh my God, this is the hardest work I've ever done. This is taking so much time out of my work I'm doing with students. But I have to tell you, it was the most profound learning I ever had in my whole career. And it led it, it kind of paved the way for my future as a teacher and then as a leader. I just realized the value of differences, the value of having others to lean on, to bounce ideas around with. And it, it, it is time consuming. It's demanding. It's exhausting, just like the work is doing it alone. But there's so much reward celebrating with others, uh, solving a problem, trying to figure out a student need when you're with others. So I have to tell you, it's Developing a, a strong teams within an organization is the most important, the most important work we can do, honestly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, your perspective on that comes across really well, not only in your book, but when we, when we speak. But I have one other side or maybe another flip of that coin. And, and because it's, it's linked to what you're talking about, and it's a little bit different. When you have that team approach, sometimes the natural progression of that is to really have distributed leadership. And you talked about that, where people's opinions and perspectives are respected and heard. But there is also a perspective of we need to sometimes shelter some staff from too many decisions. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there's some stuff that we really do want people's approach on or their perspective on. And there's other things that, you know, let me take all this other unimportant stuff away. I'll be the umbrella. 
And that is a difficult balance because sometimes we don't know what we need to shelter from and what we need to have their voice heard on. And I was wondering how you approached this balance. What are some of the things that helped you make decisions on what do I get feedback on? What do I bring this team together to talk about so that we can make a decision together? And what do I leave them out of because this is not as important and I don't need their feedback on and they can focus on other things? Yeah, I think that's a good question. All your questions are good, Corey. This is one that really, to me, as I was thinking about this idea of, you know, the umbrella, and I, I remember talking about that a lot with other principals and how much do you share? And I guess I, I kind of think of it contextually as an individual by individual situation. It depends on the issue, depends on the people, depends on who you're going to to make this decision with. But I'll tell you, I believe that more transparency is better than less. I believe just like the making your thinking visible, I think it's really important to make your thinking visible for students and and learning, but also as a leader, because as a leader, you're continually building the capacity for other leaders in your school organization or in your district, whatever the level of leadership is. I, I believe that as much as possible, talking through what your thinking is, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you think this is a good idea, is better to do it more often than less often. And I recognize that there are there are minuscule things that people do not need to be part of, and, and that's, that's fine, and they shouldn't be. But I think whenever the de- decision being made has some sort of an impact on the person, the people, whoever is involved in the um, effect of that decision – they, they need to be, if, if not having a voice in it, they need to be aware of what your thinking was and why you made that decision you did and why you didn't involve them in it. So for me, the more transparent, the better. And you just even let them know, listen, you don't need to be involved in this. I, I'm trying to not have you get too much on your plate. If you do have something you want to help me with, or you want to be part of this, you're welcome to, but I'm recognizing that you don't need to. And I, I think specific example of that, Corey, is I used to have a couple of different kinds of meetings with staff. And one of them was optional staff meeting where we talked about some of the decisions being made. If people wanted to have input on the decision, they were welcome to come and hash it up. But it was an after hours kind of thing. And we would share what was decided, the way the decision was made with those who who just didn't have time or not interested. in. in. And the idea there is that if you've decided you don't want to be a part of that decision, but you still have to accept the decision that was made, if that makes sense. But I, I think more is better, I guess. And, and But always kind of using judgment on a specific situation. Does that make yeah, sense? No, I, that makes yeah. total sense. I think it makes total sense. And I also appreciate that there is no, there's no pat answer because mm. each situation is different. But I do like how you shared your approach, which is more transparency is better than less. I I actually do like your idea of this invitation for the staff meeting, because if it is too much, well then, you know, you can make that choice. Um, And and I think that we've got a lot more options and tools right now to make those accessible. Now, one of the things that I really liked about your book and I felt it made it really personal was the stories that you shared. Um, personal stories about your leadership journey and some good times and some bad times. And you share them all, right? You share some pretty uplifting stories and you share some extremely challenging stories. 
what I particularly liked was you shared some stories, but then you shared your personal uh, feelings on that or how, how it made you feel as a leader and how those were challenging times. Now, leadership is pretty easy in good times, but it can be actually quite hard when things are difficult and both hard professionally and, and personally. And people are looking to us for answers. And sometimes uh, I feel, and the research would show, that leaders do, do bear that weight. And I think that your book really shows that you've lived that. Mm. Now, we're not in perhaps some of the dire times that, that you share in your book, um, but I would love to know, what are some suggestions that you have for leaders when you're approaching difficult times, times of crisis, when you feel like the weight's on your shoulder and you feel like you need to still stand up straight and, and, and as you talk about in your book, get, get right back up in front of staff and, and put on the brave face. Yeah. You know what? I, I was just thinking about, I was thinking about what actually brings us to this work. <laughs> like there's some weird sickness we have that we, thrive in chaos. I don't know. I guess leadership through the really, really challenging, difficult times, I think, and that's what I try to kind of portray in the whole book, whether it's a good time, bad time, anything in between, there is no uh, toolkit. There's no toolbox. There's no one size fits all kind of way to go about it. I talk about the knowing, the doing, and the being of leadership. And so we can know all of the theories about leadership. We can know all the curriculum. We can know all of the assessment plans. We know all of the things we should be doing. And so there's a knowledge base. And there's a doing. And we know we, we get out there and we do the work. And sometimes we're so caught up in doing that we don't actually have an awareness of the being part of leadership, being a school leader. And that is something that we learn through practical experience, just slugging it out, going in there, and just reflecting on what is it I am learning about myself and my leadership and what matters. And it's through those challenging times, and I wrote about it in the book in particular, that I learned how important it was to not be too, too wrapped up in my own checklist, my own to-do list, my own activities, the things I need to do to, to keep moving this group forward, but to be present, be with my staff, be with others. If I could tell you anything that I would, I would hope that people would get from this book, it's about the value of being a leader and being present to all of the craziness that confronts you. And, and I don't want to sound like, you know, this Pollyanna blue sky gal that, Oh, Hey, heck, just, we can always find a silver lining in the cloud because the truth of the matter is it, it is heartbreaking, heart wrenching work sometimes. So in those instances, I think it's really important to recognize that you're not in this alone. Always have that network colleagues, somebody out there who you've got to find your people who you can actually work through this stuff with. People that will keep your rants or your venting in the vault. People that you trust, a person, doesn't matter, one, two, five, whatever it is you need, 
I think as a leader, that's critical. I always had that. And that got me through like some of the situations I described in the book. The other is stay connected, always stay connected with what brought you to the work in the first place. And I would suggest that most of us who are in it for the long haul and do this crazy teaching leading gig for years on end are really tightly connected to the students and recognize that that's our reason for being. And so as often as possible, whenever possible, getting reconnected with the kids, the learning, getting into classrooms, whether it's just for a visit or for actually getting engaged in a team teaching situation. But during those difficult times, for me, it was more important than ever to stay connected with the kids, stay connected with the students, for sure. It reminds you, it kind of, for me, it fed me, reminded me of why I was doing the work and re-energized the battery, for sure. Um, Because, yeah, it's tough. It's tough work, but rewarding, hey? (laughs) So rewarding. So rewarding. Yeah, I don't want you to think that I think it's all uh, doom and gloom. Uh, absolutely not. But uh, there are definitely some some days I think that anyone yes. coming into leadership needs to know and have their eyes open. So no, I appreciate that. And I think that those are some good suggestions. Now, you know, we've read, I've read the book, uh, hopefully some other people will go and read the book. And one of the things that I always think about is that, okay, so y- you've, you've written this amazing book. But we know that it doesn't stop now. If I know you, I, I know you've got some some pots that are bubbling and some ideas that are that are percolating. And I always want to know what are you thinking about and what are you learning about right now? What's next? What's the new ideas? What are some of the things? What can we look forward to seeing from you in the coming months or years? Well, you know, as a matter of fact, there are a few things on the go right now. And and I guess um one of the things I'm most keen about doing. There's a few things, but I'll, so I'll share them all. One is I started a couple of years ago working with the University of Lethbridge. I also did some work with the University of Calgary on a leadership um, cohort. I'm teaching a master's class to aspiring leaders. It's, it's connected to the uh, leadership quality standard. What I love about that work is it, it keeps me involved in what's going on in the field. So each spring, I work with about mm, 15 or so aspiring leaders in that class. From that, it's, it's so interesting to hear what they're struggling with the most. And so I'll share with you a little bit about what it seems to me that is still such a difficult concept for leaders. And that's the whole idea of, of teacher growth supervision and evaluation. So the work I've done with the cohorts is we're, we're still you know, engaged in what kind of um, leader do you want to be? How are you going to set up networks of learning? And what does teacher supervision look like? I think we're all pretty aware of formal evaluations, but what is teacher growth and what's teacher supervision? How are they the same? How are they different? How are you actually, as a leader, able to work with your teachers to enhance their growth? Again, growth slash renewal. So as a leader, it is absolutely is your responsibility to nurture the renewal and growth of, of your teachers and yourself, of course, always, always learning, always growing and, 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 and being part of a, of a cohort or a learning a collaborative inquiry group yourself. But for teachers, how do you do that as a colleague, 
as, as their boss. Those are things that we're talking about. I, I know that you know this about me. One of my favorite researchers, Vivian Robinson, has uh, <laughs> some research that she's done about open to learning conversations. I'm doing a little reading on generative dialogue. Um, just how do we as leaders engage as coaches, not formal evaluators, more as how do we create that environment of challenge, respect, and trust where we can actually have impact on the teaching and learning that's going on that everybody is always asking questions and, and challenging themselves to get better. The other thing I'm working on is this has just come up. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a contract with the ministry of education in British Columbia, and they've created a framework for enhancing student learning and they are curious and wanting to build capacity for district leaders around the province to engage in a continuous learning model. Obviously, we're, that's, that's our assurance in Alberta uh, is a continuous learning. But So what does that actually mean in practice? We talk about inquiry, uh, the cycle of inquiry from uh, Judy Halbert and Linda Kaiser. They're actually using that model across the province in BC as a way to engage in continuous improvement with school districts. So I'm learning at, with that organization and I'm going to be supporting some of that work. So I'm kind of excited about that. The idea is our, our traditional standard ways of assessing success for students is not meeting the needs of the diverse learners, particularly Indigenous students. So we'll be doing some, some looking at how we can collect data differently, what kind of data we're looking at that determines whether we're being successful or not, and how we're approaching diverse learners. And finally, my most exciting project is a children's book that I am excited about collaborating on with a dear friend that I went to university with. She was a teacher. She's just retired, and she is a lovely illustrator. So we are working together on a book that I hope will be something for parents and grandparents just as much as it is for children. So kind of one of those books that causes us to maybe reconnect with our sense of wonder and curiosity. That sounds amazing. It sounds so interesting. And it sounds like you are going to be one busy person in the coming <laughs> months and everything like that. I look forward to reading the book. I look forward to talking to you more about some of this uh, This. I mean, one right in my wheelhouse is continuous learning, and what does that actually look like? And uh, and I, I know that your students in your master's classes are going to be just they they are so lucky to have you, Carolyn. And oh, I want to thank you so much for speaking to me today, and for for everyone who's listening. So thank you very much. Thank you, Corey. It was a pleasure.